They're, uh, just to let you know, like the team of Hunter Smith, Jeremy Jeffs, we're going to wipe the floor with everybody, just the two of us. And Pastor Kevin. He was really excited at staff meeting to play dodgeball. Interested to see how that goes. But anyways, uh, so welcome to Greenhouse. If this is your first time here, we want to say welcome, and we hope that this is a place that you can feel like this is your home, that you can come, you can worship, you can be a part of what we do here. And if you didn't get the notice, the notification about Superhero Dodgeball Night, it's okay, uh, because we also play like regular dodgeball too. But anyways, uh, let me ask you guys a question as we begin. Do any of you guys know somebody that just has a way of making things way too complicated than they really should be? Anybody? My wife raised her hand. I hope that's not pointed at me. Um, it's weird being on this end of it. We'll talk about that when we get home. All right. And so anybody else, somebody that makes things way too complicated. Some of us know those people. Um, one day you guys might have the opportunity and I hope you do to join the workforce. And when you do that, uh, you're going to have these people called managers and supervisors and people like that who think they know, right. And think they know things to make things more, uh, hot button words, efficient and productive, and things like that. And really, they're just making things that much more difficult. Uh, some of you guys might have heard the story I've told about our security in New Orleans. We had a bunch of cars that were getting stolen uh, in the middle of the night. There's actually a video of me. Uh, I don't have it personally. They've got it somewhere in a vault down at the seminary where a car was coming out the wrong way, and I hopped out in the street to be like, hey, kind citizen, you're going the wrong way. And then as I got in the middle of the road, I heard the, edge, the engine rev up. And, and I was like, oh, okay. And I just took a step and let them take the car. And, and, and then I got called into like the principal's office. They're like, Hunter, why'd you let them take that car? I said, because I'm literally making the minimum wage. <laughs> if they, and if they want to put that much effort towards stealing a car, they can have it. Uh, but to stop us from stealing these cars, we had these giant like metal pillars, like poles, that they dug into the ground, and you set these poles in the ground, and they were pretty heavy, and I wasn't really thrilled about it, because, like, I worked night shift. I was the only guy there that could, like, really physically, like, lift the poles, and then somebody actually, like, is trying to steal a car, or no, somebody was trying to go to McDonald's, same difference, you know, and they hit one of the poles by accident, and the pole went flying out of the, out of the ground, and we realized these big, heavy poles that we had are not nearly a deterrent enough, and we need to make them stronger. We need to make them better. We need to complicate the matter that much further. So with these already heavy poles, you know what we did? They decided, in their immense wisdom, let's fill them with concrete. Now nobody could move them, and now somewhere in New Orleans, there's a pile of like six concrete lead-filled poles somewhere. I don't know. Uh, I also felt the same way when I was in elementary school, uh, having to read in class. If you guys have ever been in that situation, does anybody remember popcorn reading yes. by chance? Did popcorn reading ever give anybody else anxiety? Yes. Okay, yes. Did anybody by show of hands like popcorn reading? Nerd, nerd, nerd. Anyways, <clears throat> I, I hated popcorn reading on two occasions. Like, two different, like, circumstances. Number one is because, like, unless you were in the in crowd, you weren't going to get invited to read to the class. And it's just going to be the same group of honor roll kids over here reading amongst themselves. 
And I didn't like that because I, too, even though I was in the slow reading class, wanted to participate. But then the other thing was I had a teacher who did, like, surprise popcorn. And so it wasn't like if you do popcorn reading, you get to the end of a paragraph, popcorn, Luke Foster, you know, something like that. She said that you could popcorn at any time you wanted to. So you could be the dog ran to the popcorn, Taylor Fowler. And, like, if you were caught and you didn't know where you were and everything, did, did y'all have, like, we always called it pulling a stick. We had these, like, popsicle sticks that made, like, your discipline. If you got in trouble, you lost a stick. And at the end of whenever, you got to cash in all your sticks to buy a pack of gum or something. Y'all yeah, feel me? So complicated things, right? So we've just made the introduction to this that much more complicated. So we're going to study a story tonight in Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 5 about this guy who, who thinks that things are going to be way more complicated than they actually are. But I want everybody here to hear. I want everybody here to listen. What I want everybody here to leave and understand with is this, is that God's grace is free. God's forgiveness is free. It's offered to everybody here, and it's not as complicated as we can tend to make it sometimes, okay? So in 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, uh, this is going to be a story. Last week we talked about Elijah. This week we're talking about a prophet named Elisha. They're two different people. It's not, a miss, it's not a misspelling in your Bible. It's not, there are two different prophets at the time. They shared a very similar name. But in 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says this. <clears throat> it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his, ma with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So real quick, just a few things that we need to discuss. We're going to be talking about this guy Naaman quite a bit. Elisha is going to come in later on in the story. But a few things that we see here. Number one, Naaman, he, he's the commander of the army of Syria. So he's not Israeli. He's not a Judy uh, 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 from the land of Judah. He's not any of these people. He, he's actually kind of from like the rival country and the rival army and, and kind of the rival gang, so to speak. He's not necessarily like one of the good guys. He's part of the bad people in the world. But it says this, that he was the commander of the army, but the Lord had given victory to Syria. And so you sit here and think, okay, this is, a, this is kind of taking like a really big point, try and help us be able to understand it just a little bit. That it shows us in this moment, God is still in control of all things good and bad. That God is never out of control. And throughout Scripture, throughout Bible, here today, God is not out of control. If you turn on TV, you scroll through Facebook, you see all these things, that it looks like evil is reigning supreme on all things. Guys, God is not out of control. God remains in control. He sits in throne. He sits in power. And God is never out of control. And God sometimes uses the bad things. God sometimes uses the bad people to further his story along, to further the gospel along. And so he's doing that with Naaman. He's doing that with the king of Syria. And he, he, Naaman's this great guy. He's well-respected. He's well-respected by his ranks. He's well-respected in his government. He's a good dude, but he has a major flaw in his life, and that's this, that he's a leper. Okay, he, he's got something going on. Now, now, some of us, we might have been familiar with leprosy. We might know leprosy through uh, times in vacation Bible school, through times in Sunday school, and we talk about that. We, we, we kind of know roughly what this is. For those of you who might not know what this is, all you need to understand about Naaman right now is this. He's powerful, he's mighty, but he's on a ticking clock. 
And there's going to come a time when this leprosy is going to overtake him. There's going to come a time when this leprosy is going to rule him. There's going to come a time when these people that are around him, that look up to him, that support him, that are his friends, are going to have to distance themselves away from him. There's going to come a time where this disease is going to completely eat him up and he's going to lose fingers, he's going to lose toes, he's going to lose ears, nose, all these things. He's, there's going to come a time this disease is going to absolutely encapsulate and consume him. And that's what leprosy is. Can I get a volunteer so we can know a little bit more about, hey, Joel Grady, come on up, man. That's what I'm talking about. So when I was in vacation Bible school, I, I had this lady, and her name was Clara May, okay? And so Clara May, and I, she was, if you've ever seen the show Boy Meets World, okay, Clara May was my Mr. Feeney, okay? I don't know how, I don't know why she taught like every year of vacation Bible school. She taught every year of Sunday school. She, I could not escape Miss Clara May. And y'all also need to understand this about little Hunter. I was a little bit of a troublemaker. I got in some trouble sometimes. I caused a ruckus. You know, I pulled sticks, you know what I'm saying? Joel, take, take, that, take that jacket off for me real quick. So there's one time in vacation Bible school that we were talking about leprosy. And, and the thing you need to understand about leprosy is this. Leprosy is, in Scripture, a lot of times this metaphor for sin in our lives. Okay, so Miss Claire May, I've, I've been causing a good distraction. So she said, Hunter, you're going to be Hunter right now. What a tremendous honor for you in this story, okay? So, so she said, Hunter, come up here. I'm going to show you what leprosy looks like. And so leprosy are all these open sores all over, all over your body. There's one right there. Let's put one on, like, right there, all over the place. I'm going to get Coleman and Kendall. Y'all come up and cover him in sores right now, okay? And so, so leprosy, all this is, is this metaphor for sin because it is this disease that completely encapsulates you that completely takes you over. And so Naaman is here. He's on top of the world. He has all the world looking up to him. He's the most powerful person in the known world at this time. But he is on a ticking clock, and his power and his prestige and everything is running thin. That is good. Y'all can have a seat. So, so here, we've got our leper here, and, and he's covered in everything. But, but some of the things that these are, the, these are open, painful wounds. It, but it's also very contagious. So, Joel, here's what I need you to do for me. I need you to go sit in that chair over there as far away from us because leprosy causes pain. Leprosy also removes you from community. <laughs> and so, Joel, you have to sit over there, but also if you were a leper, what was expected of you when people came close is that you had to scream out. You had to alert every one of your presence. You had to let everybody know of all the wrong that has happened in your life right now. And so Joel, just scream out for us, yell, unclean, unclean. Okay, see, he's sad. Leprosy is really taking him right now. But, but while Joel's sitting over there, guys, what I want us to think about is this. Guys, we talk about leprosy as this metaphor for sin in our lives. Okay, does sin not hurt? Does sin not hurt us and hurt those around us? Absolutely it does. Does sin not separate us from a body of believers, from community, from the people who love us, from the people who care about us? Absolutely. Is sin not something that we are ashamed of? Is sin not something that we're so ashamed of that if everybody knew the sin in our lives that we're going to feel so embarrassed? Absolutely. Joel, you can go have your regular seat and you can keep all those boils and scars if you want to. So everybody give it up for Joel real quick. <laughs> So all that to say is this, like as we're studying this story about physical healing in the life of Naaman, we're also reading a little bit more into this that it's a story of spiritual healing for Naaman as well. 
So continuing on in verse 2, it says this. It says, Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. Continuing on. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. So here's what's happening right now. Naaman is doing what everybody here with a sensible mind would do in this moment. Everything is going bad, and so what is he going to do? He is exhausting all efforts to be healed. He is exhausting all efforts to be made right. And so you see right here, like, he's even taking tons of money. He's taking, um, like, uh, letters of recommendation from kings. He's taking everything to try and earn his healing, to try and buy back his healing, to exhaust all efforts for healing. Every single one of us here, if we had a, a disease, an illness, or something like that, we would do the same exact thing. We'd go to every doctor. We'd go to every specialist. We'd go everywhere we need to to find this healing. And so Naaman's going to go everywhere he can, and he's going to keep coming up short. So pick up in verse 6. It says this, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Because again, we, we sit there and, and we see Naaman exhausting every opportunity, and, and he's trying to find a practical example. He's trying to find a practical step-by-step. He's trying to find something that's going to fix this. Now, now, some of us here are like that. If you're that person that, like, everything is planned, that you have your planner, that you have the Remind app on your phone, that you're step-by-step, you're practical, you're pragmatic, everything for the next five years in your life is mapped out. If you're kind of that person, more or less, can I see your hand? Some of us are planners. That's okay. That's okay. If you're one of those people that's like, okay, I'm just going to kind of let things happen. Yeah, Okay. We affectionately in our house refer to that as a balloon in a bag of rocks, but we'll get into that later. That's, that's for like premarital counseling or something like that. But, but, but all that to say is this, like we, we're, we're all looking for this step-by-step example. And that's what Naaman is looking for right here. He's looking for practical. He's looking for tangible. He's looking for something physical that's going to make sense. That's going to heal him of his sickness. He's looking for something physical that is going to heal him of his sickness. So pick up in verse 8. Again, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Your flesh shall be restored. You shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me. And stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Verse 12. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus 
better than all the waters of Israel, could not not have washed in them and be cleaned. So he turned and went away in rage. So, so here's this moment that Naaman comes. He, he's looking for something big. He's looking for something elaborate. He's looking for something physical that's going to make sense and physical that is going to fix everything. And the solution that Elisha, the man of God, gives is actually rather simple. It's actually rather simple. He says, just go and bathe and be made clean. Just go wash all that off. Just go and do... And Naaman is furious. And I say all that to say this. Like We tend to take a very similar approach when it comes to God and when it comes to our salvation as well. Not that saying, like, God, I expect you to do things bigger and better. But ultimately, for us as believers, for us as Christians, we believe something very fantastic. We believe something way too good to be true. Because where all these other religions in the world have this giant list of do's and don'ts and things that you're expected to keep, here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is saying. He's saying, hey, you are a sinner. You have messed up. You have made wrong choices. You are hurting. You are sick. You are dead. You are all these things. But I forgive you. But I will heal you. But I will restore you. But I will make you right. But I will redeem you. And when we sit here and we boil it down to that, all that it takes for us to be made clean, all that it takes for us to be made right, all that it takes for us to be healed of our sickness, of our sin, is this, placing our faith, placing our trust in the hands of somebody greater than ourselves. It's sitting here and admitting that we're a sinner, believing in Jesus as the Son of God and confessing Him as our Lord. That, that when you boil it all down to that, and you hold it in, 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 in comparison to other things, the path to salvation for us as believers, the path to salvation for us as Christians, is not crazy. It's not difficult. It's not way too much. It, it's, it's rather simple at the end. It's saying that we're going to follow something greater than ourselves. But so oftentimes when we hear that, we come back with, well, okay, God, I know that you can forgive me. I know you can do all these things. I know you can do all this great stuff, but you don't know the extent of my sin. God, you don't know how bad I've messed up. God, you don't know who I really am. You don't know the real me. You don't know all these things. And what God is saying to you here in this place, if you're saying those things, is this. Yes, I know those things, and I love you, and I sent my son to die for you anyways. God, salvation is free. Salvation is had. Grace is free. Grace can be had in this place tonight. That We don't have to leave here frustrated. We don't have to leave here angry. We can leave here redeemed. We can leave here free. We can leave here made right. And so verse 13, close out the story. It says this. <clears throat> but his servants came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was made clean. Verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company. And he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all earth but in Israel, so accept now a present for your servant. As we, we have this beautiful, happy ending to this story of somebody who understands their need for salvation, somebody who finally, somebody talked them into, hey, just, just give it a shot, give it a try. 
And what they have found is they found forgiveness, and he found healing, and he found being made right. Guys, here's what I'm asking you to do for us tonight, for, for yourself tonight. Don't do it for me. Don't do it for your leader. Don't do it for your mom, for your dad. Do it for yourself tonight. I'm not saying give Jesus a free trial. I'm not saying do any of those things. What I am saying is this. If you would leave here tonight believing in the gift of salvation, the gift of grace that he offers you, you will leave here made clean. You will leave here different. You will leave here made right. You will leave here with peace. You will leave here with a huge weight off your shoulders. And it is a free offer for all of you. And we sit here and say, okay, there's no way that God could love me. I've messed up this way. I've messed up that way. I've messed up all these things. Guys, salvation is not as complicated as we make it sometimes. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody say everyone. 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 That means that the sinner can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That means the leper can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That means that you who are here, seventh grader, twelfth grader, boy, girl, whatever you're going through, that you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Salvation is here tonight, guys. We're not asking you to jump through hoops. We're not asking you to. We're asking you to repent of your sins and hold tight to a new Lord and a new King for your life. And so we sit here, guys, like, that, that, that's for us. That's the gift, and that is the offer for all of us tonight, is to sit here and say that we could leave this place saved. We could be, leave this place healed. We could leave this place redeemed. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, guys, let tonight be that night. Find a small group leader. Find a friend. Find me. Find somebody. Find the person that nails you in the face with a dodgeball. Ask them what it takes. Because there are people here who love you, and there are people here who would be more than happy to tell you. I'm going to ask the band to come on up real quick. <clears throat> and so that gift of salvation is for you here tonight. That is an offer for you here tonight. But also, guys, let's, let's take a step further. Some of us here have made the decision to follow Christ. Some of us here have been made new, have been redeemed, and all these things. Some of us here have felt that. I love what Damon does here is he finds forgiveness and he comes back and now he's professing Jesus. He's professing God as God of all. He's professing God as the Lord. He's professing God as all these things. And what we have here is that this is a guy who most likely leaves this place changed and made new. Changed with a new purpose, changed with a new direction. And I think it's great. And so let me, let me ask you guys this question. We, we talk about salvation. We talk about this free gift. We talk about grace, all these things. By show of hands, just because I'm curious to make sure we're all on the same page, by show of hands, if you're here tonight and you say, hey, I want to see lost people get saved. I want to see people come to know Christ. I want to see that happen. I want to see it happen in this room. I want to see it happen in this ministry. I want to see it happen in the lives of my friends, the lives of my teammates, everything. If you're here tonight as a believer and you can honestly say, hey, I want to see people come to know Jesus. Will you put your hand in the air? Just to say that we all, we all agree and we all testify that. I want, I want them high. Let's, let's, let's put them high up here real quick. So I'm going to step up here for just a second. All right, cool. So, so we're all on that same page. Listen to me, guys. We, we just talked, keep, keep hands up, we just talked about how we treat lepers and how, how, we, how as society we're supposed to treat them and behave them and everything like that. Because there are lepers in this life, there are lepers that we go to school with, there are lepers that we avoid, there are lepers that have made terrible choices in their life. 
I guess for us as believers, for us as Christians, if we're going to sit here and put our hands in the air and say that we want to see people come to know the Lord, that means two things for us. Number one, it means that we have to engage difficult people. Guys, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus has this moment. Y'all can put your hands down. I know you're tired. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus has this moment where a leper comes to him. And here's how Jesus responded to this. Jesus had a conversation. Jesus talked to him. Jesus didn't put his head down and hunker away. Jesus didn't like, oh, what's that? I'm getting a call. Jesus didn't text a friend, and I'm guilty of this in my own life. Jesus didn't text a friend and say, hey, in five minutes I need you to call me, emergency, and, and I can have this conversation with this difficult person, five minutes. Oh, hey, I got to take this. This is important. Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus saw this leper, this outcast on society, treated them with dignity, treated them with respect, showed them love, showed them grace, actually reached out and touched the guy. Jesus didn't shy away from difficult people. And guys, we as the body of Christ should not do that either. I know there's difficult people in this world. I know there's scary people in this world. I know there's people in this world who believe vastly different things than what we teach here. It does not give us a right to sit here and avoid them. It does not give us a right to try and stay away from them. It does not give us a right to keep them at arm's length and expect them to figure things out on their own. Guys, we as Mount Zion, we as the body of Christ, we as Greenhouse, we as this student ministry, we say, hey, I will talk to you. I will be your friend. I will love you. I will bring you to this place because this is a place that we belong. We find answers. We make a difference. If we want to see people come to know the Lord, guys, we engage difficult people. We don't run away. We don't hide. We don't scare easily. But if we want to see people come to know the Lord as well, we engage difficult people. But we also have to accept the fact that if we're going to bring difficult people into this place, this place isn't going to be safe anymore. This place is going to be a place of building. This place is going to be a place of teaching. This place is going to be a place of having to instruct on how to live your life for Christ. And no, it's not going to be squeaky clean. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be great. But guess what? Life change will happen. And we will mold and we will build and we will instruct and we will teach and we will model what it looks like to be obedient and follow Christ. That we need to treat this place like it is our mission field. That we need to treat this place like it is our hospital and not our country club from here on out, guys. That's what it looks like to follow Christ. That's what it looks like to be made new. That's what it looks like to want to see people come to know the Lord. Is that we go to them, but we bring them here. We teach, we model, we befriend, we build up, we instruct. We take them to the beach with us. We take them to St. Louis with us. But we see life change happen in this place through the lives of each and every one of us. But life change, we can only give away what we personally have. So if you're here tonight and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, is let tonight be that night. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you have healed us. We thank you that you have made us right. And God, I pray for my friends here who have never made that decision. God, let us leave here as Naaman did, bathed and made clean. Let us leave this place new. Let us leave this place at peace with ourselves, with those around us. Let us leave this place made right in your eyes and redeemed through what your son did on the cross for us, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.